Oh crap. My bones. Being a werewolf hurts my bones. Don't get so close, Jesus. <clears throat> I'm ready when you are. That was a chewy one. I know. I wonder if they've been sitting here a while because the ones I had too, it was like every time I'm about to start, oh, you make I'm noises. <laughs> you started chewing loud again. And so then I waited and then you were putting your headphone on. So I was like, and then you went, <laughs> I'm like, okay, just kidding. Sorry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm Sorry with the Podcast. This is Amanda, and that is Christina. She can't talk. And this is episode 105. Thank you for joining us. What you got? Oh, my God. Yep, now. yep. Now you're allowed to talk. Thank you. Thank I you. Appreciate it. We're trying this uh, new NPR uh, style. I've been told that my voice is annoying. <laughs> I've been told that I'm obnoxious. <laughs> I'm of H2O intolerant. I'm obnoxious. Ah, <laughs> oh, you made me eat. Guys, <laughs> oh, you made me eat. What's up, guys? What's poppin'? What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Oh. Hi, how was your week? Twas good. I just fucking was sick. You were sick again? Well, I was sick when we recorded. I had a sore throat and all that jazz, and then I got and sinus. all that jazz. Yes. Okay. And then I got a sinus infection, but I had antibiotics left over from the last time I was sick, like a full dose, because they gave me two different kinds because they weren't sure which kind was going to work. Okay. So then I just took the second kind. <laughs> Did she do the job? Like a glove? No. What? Um, I got I. <laughs> The Ace Ventura when he's like a glove. Like a glove. Um, yeah, she, she, uh, they gave me doxycycline and mm -hmm. azithromycin. Okay. And so the last time I was sick, I took the Z pack, and then this time I took the doxy. And that shit is powerful. Yeah, it definitely kicks it in the ass. Yeah, I, w I felt better, like, within 24 hours. But it also, like, it. when I take it, it gives me diarrhea. Like it, it's my tummy trouble it, one. Yes, <laughs> it's my tummy trouble one. Yeah, it is my tummy trouble. One. Z packs don't. It's just that no, one. All antibiotics do for me. Aw, yeah. I'm sorry, your butt's so sensitive. I would say it's more my my tummy. No, your your uh my colon. <laughs> nope, that's not I'm, it. <laughs> I'm sorry, your uh bowels My are bowels. so. <laughs> sensitive why do we always talk about poop on this on the show because it's a fact of life Listen, man everybody poops everybody poops plus like my job i deal with poop all the fucking time i don't so i just don't even think about but it seeing as how i work in a call center that would be really weird if you did really weird if i was dealing with poop all the time unless it was a call center for like a diarrhea pill or something <laughs> even then <laughs> I feel like they wouldn't we just have talk to about take the poop. It because we're working at a call center for <laughs> diarrhea pills, we all have to take it. And the pill actually, it's not to help diarrhea, it's to give you diarrhea. It's, it's like a, a laxative yeah. of some sort. <laughs> and it's required for all employees to take it. So we're just shitting into buckets while we work. It's, fi <laughs> it's fine because I have like three bathrooms. <laughs> what is this scenario we just made up? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't want to be there. So. <laughs> 
That was Imagination Corner. Um, <laughs> now that now that we just made an entire universe up, uh, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> what's poppin'? How was your week? Uh, it was fine. I mean, same thing as always. Just busy as hell and didn't really have time to even think, let alone uh, do anything that's interesting that anybody would want to hear about. Cool. I mean, um, unless y'all want to hear about uh, Amanda's stress... Amanda is not easy, breezy, lemon squeezy. Not at the moment. She it's is fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. Stressy, stressy, lemon aggressive. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. No, ooh, I do have a story from my mom. So she was cleaning the church yesterday morning at like 5, 530. And she cleaned the kitchen floor. So she wiped it all down. She does like like by hand cleans it so she cleans the one side and then she goes upstairs to the sanctuary to dust and then she'll come back and move everything to the side that dried off and then do the other side of the floor right Mm -hmm. so she had moved everything over to this side she wipes down that side goes upstairs 10 15 minutes later she comes back down and one of the chairs that she had just scooted to the side was folded leaned against the counter on the side that was still wet that she had just wiped down so she knows she moved everything around she goes i came in and it was just i knew it wasn't right and i just had to like talk myself into thinking maybe somebody came in at five o'clock in the morning and had to get into the fridge because it was by the fridge and just folded it up and set it on the by the counter across the room yeah I would have noped the fuck out of there. Oh, she so didn't fast. though. She's like, she is. She's got balls of fucking steel. Fucking Susan, man, <laughs> Susan. <laughs> but yeah, that was her her creepy thing that happened. What if it wasn't a ghost? What if it was some weird drifter? I mean, there's been people sleeping the in the church when we showed up before. Yeah, and then he was like, "Oh, she left this chair out. I'm gonna fold it and put I'll it put it here. away." Put it on the clean side. What a dumbass drifter. I know. She's like, I know I wouldn't have done that because I hate having anything on the wet floor. (laughs) Susan. It's okay. She finished her job, finished up by like 630. So it was like an hour later and she was fine. She's alive now. So. Um, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) She's and she was telling me it and she like got goosebumps telling me the story. I was like, that's so i uncomfortable i don't like it i don't like that (sighs) but yeah that was my one exciting thing that i can think of that didn't happen even happen to me this week (laughs) i didn't have anything exciting happen to me it's okay we're really cool i mean you were sick that's exciting and different kind of for you not really but my boss yelled at me for working too hard and getting sick she didn't yell at me. I keep telling people she yelled at me. And then they're like, why would she yell at you? I'm like, I'm sorry. No, she didn't yell at me. She, like, gave me a mom talk. Like, you need, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah, it was one like, of those basically, talks. she's like, uh, <laughs> you're working way too much overtime. And while we appreciate it, it doesn't do us any good when you get sick and miss work. Not that you can't miss work. I'm just, and she was like, I feel like that came out wrong. I'm like, no, I get what, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. I'm she's like, like, we'd rather have you here for your shift and not work as much overtime and i'm like i know but and she's like and i know where you're trying to show us that you appreciate right that you're allowing us to work remotely and stuff and i'm like well that's part of it i'm also trying to pay off a credit card (laughs) and i just really (laughs) can't resist 
more money. <laughs> <laughs> and like if it's available, I just I'm Here. see here's the all thing. for it. I like money. I like having it. And this is how I get it. So <laughs> So I'm just gonna go ahead and tr- like try not to get sick and, no, and, and she, you're right maybe i should cut down well, on the no, overtime she's like well let's just say the next this week and next week i'm giving you a pass to not hit the required overtime and i don't want you to do all of the voluntary overtime so just kind of take a step back and just like get fully healthy and then you can go and do as much overtime as you want. I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. Because I can't okay. work next Saturday because we're going on a trip. In our, in our favorite, favorite rocket, rocket ship. ship. <laughs> <laughs> Same friends. <sighs> and so I wouldn't have been able to, I would have killed myself to do 10 hour days. So I'm like, okay, you're right. I should just bring it in a little bit. <laughs> so that was my week. <clears throat> it was really exciting. <clears throat> Amanda's gonna tell us her story now. Am I? Yeah. I don't think that's how we do it. Do you have something else to fuck? Oh no, I'm gonna tell you my story. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, you're first. It's what we've done since the beginning. <laughs> I'm just fucking. You're just yelling at me for no reason. Just... Amanda's gonna tell me your story now. Amanda's like, you can't just, you can't just change okay. it up. You can't just. <laughs> it's not how this works. Okay, hold on. Let me get it up. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. Just kidding. I'm going first. Christina's going to tell you a story now. I'm going to tell you about the Baton Rouge killer. Ooh. Baton Rouge. (laughs) That's not how you say it. No. Never say it like that again. That's what it looks like and it makes me want to say it that way just because I'm obnoxious. Yes. Baton Rouge. (laughs) Free Shabacados. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, boy. My ADD <laughs> brain just... Sorry. Okay. So, this is... It just starts off bad. Oh, I'm ready. So, Connie Warner went missing from her home in Zachary, Louisiana in August of 1992. Okay. Weeks later, the 41-year-old's badly decomposed body was found nude in a local drainage ditch. Then, on September 24th, 2001, 40-year-old Gina Wilson Green was found murdered in her home on Stanford Avenue near LSU. Autopsy reports show she was raped and strangled. Police said her cell phone and purse were missing. The cell phone was found weeks later in an alley on Choctaw Street. And then months later, in January of 2002, Gerilyn DeSoto, 21, was found stabbed to death in her home by her husband, Darren DeSoto. Uh, Gerilyn was an LSU student and was planning to attend graduate school in the fall of 2002. Okay. And then on May 31st, a roommate found 22-year-old Charlotte Marie Pace's body at her apartment in Baton Rouge. Autopsy reports said Pace was stabbed over 80 times and raped. Uh. She also received other defensive injuries, showing she tried to fight off her attacker. Uh. Pace had recently graduated from LSU as one of the youngest students to receive an MBA degree in business administration. Okay. So, during this time, the late 90s, early 2000s, I guess communication among detectives from different cities uh, was rare. It's from, like, 91 to 2001, Mm -hmm. 2002 area. And there were over 53 unsolved murders of women in Baton Rouge. Wow. 
They came from different backgrounds and ethnicities, and they the causes of death varied. The city was on high alert, and the government was on basically the hot seat trying to figure out what the fuck was happening. Right. In August of 2002, uh, the Baton Rouge area multi-agency task force was formed, and communications between parish in Louisiana they called counties parishes. Uh-huh. Uh, but between parish detectives broadened. Uh, but instead of catching a serial killer, the task force ended up having more murders to solve because they started communicating and went, holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. So over the next two years, 18 more women were found dead and the only evidence led police in the wrong direction. What investigators did not know at the time or did not tell the public was that there was more than two, maybe even three serial killers were responsible for many of the murders. Wow. So they just said like an active crew of different people Mm -hmm. killing people okay so part part of the problem with these specific murders so the ones that i listed in the beginning yep is they had dna linking them to the scene but the methods varied with nearly each murder which is rare for a serial killer Um, similarities between the crimes included the removal of cell phones from the victim's belongings and lack of any visible signs of forced entry into the location where the victim was attacked Two of the victims' bodies were discovered at the Whiskey Bay Bolt Launch, approximately 35 miles west of Baton Rouge, just off Interstate 10. So there was no, like, really method to the madness, basically. Right. Um, and an FBI profile believed that the man to be white, a white male, and due to questionable eyewitness accounts, a composite sketch of the suspected serial killer was released to the public. The picture was of a white male with a long nose, long face, and long hair. Once the picture was released, the task force became inundated with phone calls and the investigation basically just stalled. Right. So um, police, therefore, they administered thousands of DNA tests to Caucasian men and around the general area of in and around the general areas of the murders. They had no leads. And then police followed. Allowed a company called DNA Print Genomics. Mm hmm to access uh, part of the DNA left at a crime scene, and they generated an ancestry profile indicating that the suspect was 85% African-American. Okay. Thus changing the course of the investigation, so they knew then that they were looking for a black man. Right. But the FBI profile was basically completely wrong. Right. Well, it sounds like Mm -hmm. they kind of defy all of the guidelines of what they go by for profiling with changing the different like mo's and murder weapons and whatnot Mm -hmm. uh before you keep going i can't stop staring at it you have taco dip on your sweatshirt (laughs) (laughs) please pause and fix yourself (laughs) oh my god i'm leaving this in Listen, I needed a snack before we recorded. <laughs> oh, shit. Fuck okay. Me. Anyway. All right. Go anyway, on. Go forth. <laughs> we're a professional podcast here. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Uh, my squirrel brain. <laughs> it's fine. So then on July. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Okay. So on July 9th, 2002, Diane Alexander was attacked at her home in Bro Bridge. Alexander later told police that a black male knocked on her door asking to use her phone. Alexander said that when the man found out her husband was not home, he overpowered her and attempted to rape her. 
Investigators said the man beat her and tried to strangle her with a telephone cord. However, Alexander's son arrived home during the time of the attack and found his mother on the floor lying in blood. She survived the attack and after five days was able to help police develop a composite sketch of her attacker. Okay. And then on July 12th, 44-year-old Pam Kinnamore was kidnapped from her home, beaten, and raped. Police said her husband arrived at their Briarwood Place home and found spots of blood on a bedroom rug, disheveled furniture, and his wife was missing. There were no signs of forced entry into the home. Investigators said three days later, a survey crew found her body just south of the Whiskey Bay exit on I-10. Kinnamore had defensive injuries as well as cuts to her neck. DNA taken from the body matched the attacker who murdered Green and Pace, and Kinnamore owned Comforts and Joy's Antique Shop in Denham Springs. Okay. So then, 23-year-old Trinisha Denae Colomb was kidnapped from her Lafayette home on November 21st, 2002. Investigators said her car, purse, and keys were found in Grand Continue near the cemetery where her mother was buried just seven months earlier. So they think she was visiting her mother at the cemetery and was taken. That's sad. Um, Police said a hunter found her body three days later in the woods near Scott, Louisiana. Autopsy reports said that she had died from blunt force trauma to the head. DNA from semen taken from her body matched the DNA profile consistent with the Green, Pace, and Kenmore murders. So... There's just so many. And she, Trinisha was the first black victim and the first victim outside of the Baton Rouge area linked to the killer. Which is exactly why they thought they, they were looking for a outside. white man. Yeah. And because usually they don't hunt outside their race. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So on March 3rd of 2003, 26-year-old Carrie Lynn Yoder was kidnapped from her LSU apartment between 6 p.m. and 12 a.m. Ten days later, her body was found in Whiskey Bay near where Pam Kinnamore's body was found. Police believe her body was thrown from a nearby bridge. Baton Rouge police said Yoder was beaten, raped, and strangled to death. So now it's like it's picking up a pattern. Right. Um, Baton Rouge police said DNA evidence recovered during the autopsy and analyzed at the state police crime lab matched the profile. So it's all the same person for all of these. Um, So the multi-agency... Task force released a sketch of a man wanted for questioning about the attacks on a woman. So it was from the the one where she survived. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. that sketch. He was described as a clean cut, light skinned black male with short brown hair and brown eyes, probably in his late twenties or early thirties. Around the time the new sketch was released, DNA was collected in parishes where unsolved murders of women had occurred. At this time. A man named Derek Todd Lee was living in West Feliciana Parish and was asked to give a swab of DNA for testing. Um, Not only did his criminal criminal history interest investigators, but also his appearance resembled the sketch. They put a rush on Lee's DNA, and they had their answer within a few weeks. Lee's DNA matched samples taken from Yoder, Green, Pace, Kinnamore, and Plum. So he's, you're it? Mm -hmm. You're the feller. Um, Lee took his family and fled Louisiana on the day that he provided his DNA, but he was caught in Atlanta, Georgia, and returned to Louisiana a day after his arrest warrant was issued. Um, The Atlanta Police Department's fugitive squad arrested him on May 27th of 2003. So, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on his background because 
it annoys me to have to tell you about these assholes. But um, so he was born in November 5th of 1968 to Samuel Ruth and Florence Lee. His father left soon after Derek was born. And for her and the children, having him gone was actually a good thing. He suffered from mental illness and ended up in a mental institution after being charged with the attempted murder of one of his ex-wives. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Lee grew up, like many children, in small towns around South Louisiana. His neighbors and friends were mostly from his extended family. His interest in school was limited to playing in the school band. He struggled academically, Uh and his IQ calculated from below 70 to 75. Okay. By the time he turned 11, he had been caught uh, peeping into the windows of girls in his neighborhood, which he continued to do as an adult. He also liked to torture dogs and cats. At 13, he was arrested for burglary. Um, he was known for the lo- to the local police because of voyeurism, but it wasn't until he turned 16 that his anger got him into a re- real trouble. He pulled a knife on a boy during a fight and was charged with a sep- attempted second-degree murder. Uh, okay. His rap sheet was basically just one thing after another. Keeping Tom, burglary, multiple complaints and arrests, but he basically avoided a stay in juvenile detention, though. Oh, okay. Um. Um, When he committed his first or last rape or murder um, of women is unknown. What is known is that on April 2nd, 1993, he allegedly attacked two teens who were um, making out in a parked car. Making out. Making out. Um, equipped with a six-foot harvesting tool. Like one of those reaping. The sigh. Sigh. Yeah. yeah. I don't fucking like that. <laughs> um, Yuck. <laughs> he was accused of hacking the couple, stopping and fleeing only when another car approached. The couple survived, and six years later, the girl, Michelle Chapman, picked Lee out of a lineup as her attacker, but the statute of limitations on the charges had expired. Yeah. He was linked by DNA tests to deaths of seven women in Baton Baton Rouge and Lafayette areas in Louisiana, and in 2004 was convicted in separate trials of the murders of Geraldine DeSoto, Charlotte Murray, and Pace. The Pace trial resulted in a death sentence. Okay. Um, Newspapers suggested Lee was responsible for other unsolved murders in the area, including that first one that I talked about. So Connie Warner, who went missing from her home and then her badly decomposed body was found nude in a drainage ditch. Uh They think that might have been his first one in 1992. Okay. But they weren't able to base because she was decomposed so badly in Louisiana in a drainage ditch. Right. Um, They weren't able to get DNA. And it was August, right? August of 92. So they weren't able to definitively tie him. Um, And they... All of the murders they believe may have been done by him. They don't have the DNA evidence to link right. him to them. Uh, there is some argument that Derek Lee Todd was... Or Derek... Derek Todd Lee. Sorry. <laughs> there is... He's got three names. Um, was perhaps incompe- incompetent to stand trial because of psychiatric evaluations. He scored an average of 65 on various standardized IQ tests. The score below 69 is considered to be the threshold for what is considered to be mental retardation. Right. Um, Lee was, however, deemed fit to stand trial despite his low IQ. He was placed on death row at the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. 
Um, and the, they actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. And Lee died on January 21st of 2016 of heart disease at a hospital in Louisiana where he was transported for treatment. So how many did he end up getting convicted of? Seven. How many do you, did they say how many they linked him to possibly being the culprit of? That's, they could only link him to seven with DNA. And okay. they think there was like maybe three or four others that they couldn't link to. Okay. Huh. I had to look him up so I could see his face. However, my episode next week is a, basically a continuation of the story because as you mentioned, or as I mentioned, multiple serial killers at the exact same time. So, Sounds like fucking L.A. all the time. Right, but I don't remember ever hearing about this. Right. And it was like 2003. He looks like a, like a little puppy dog. Mm-hmm. Like he's not, he yeah. doesn't look scary at all. He looks kind of sad and Which droopy. maybe why he was let into their houses. Because right. he doesn't he look scary. Innocent and... Uh, people. And that fucking people is Baton Rouge... Killer? That is that. The Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Uh, gross. Okay. I grossed myself out. I grossed myself out. Uh, my turn. That's not right. Okay, so both of the ones that I have are kidnappings of young teen girls. One's from the early 1900s, and the other one is from 90s. Do the one you didn't do last week. Okay. Well, that works out because uh, we just got an email from Danny. Danny! Okay, uh, I'm sorry. That gross. was... He's like, I'm never listening again. I'm never listening. I apologize for that. That was fucking weird. Um, And he requested this, but ironically, I had already researched this last week for this week it's like so, you're linked psychically it's like it's like we know it's like he read my brain or he like oh he t- i just was gonna say gonna injected say, oh i was gonna say penetrated so oh. either way not a good enough reason you know, to use the word penetration but so. danny thank you for the request because it is an interesting one you know danny is um regretting saying we've said saying so many times anything <laughs> at this point but, uh, you know, if you message us, asking you may receive at right. some point, or we may forget. Either- <laughs> you know, let's be honest here. We're doing our best. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell you the story of Polly Hannah Class and her unfortunate kidnapping. Is it Pollyanna? Like Pollyanna? Or is it Pollyanna? Pollyanna. Okay. I just didn't know if I wasn't hearing the H or if it, I was hearing it wrong. It, a lot of things just say Polly Class. It's just mm-hmm. the Wikipedia page said her middle name, and I was like... Whenever you say Polly, I think, Polly want a cracker? Or... Oh, that's unfortunate, because... Polly Pocket? Polly Pocket is where I go. Or Polly Short? <laughs> I do love son-in-law. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I know uh, this is going to be terrible, so I'm yeah, just... Yeah, <laughs> I know, but maybe don't, like, make fun of her name, because... I'm not making fun of it. I'm giving you association, <laughs> sound association. Um, so, on October 1st of 1993, Polly, who was 12 years old, was having a sleepover with a couple of her friends at her mother's house. Uh, that night, the girls were trying on Halloween costumes and just kind of hanging out in Polly's room, right? <sighs> Sounds like a good time. I know! I was like, I totally was that person who got out the tote with the Halloween costumes and did that. We also used to get out, like, all of the board games and make our own giant board game and make up rules. 
that was that was a good time. Uh, when Polly opened the door to her bedroom to go get supplies, people say, but I'm assuming to go get snacks or something. Yes. Um, there was a man standing there <gasps> holding a knife and a duffel bag right outside her room. No. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. And what do you mean? Yeah. I can you imagine? No. So she just opened her bedroom. And there was a man. Don't like that. And she was Did at she her mom's just, house. Like, shut the door. No, no, but I don't know that that would have helped. <laughs> um, so this was right around like 1030 to 11 o'clock at night. So it wasn't like somebody came over and it surprised any, you know, like it was so many things were wrong. No, and she was like 12. So she wasn't at that assertive stage where it was like, who the fuck are you? Right. Or like the instant scream for mom or something. It was like the I panic and freeze. Oh, uh, so this man walked into the room and kind of like herded her back into the room and he was like who lives here and polly answered i do he held the knife held them at knife point and like bound them with it said fabric strips and nintendo cords oh that's real 80s uh right well pretty close to the 80s here um so they he bound their hands and their ankles their hands were behind their backs and then bound their ankles and after he had bound them he put a pillowcase over each of their heads <gasps> And then um, he told the girls that had come as guests to count to a thousand, and he took Polly outside and put her in her, his car. <gasps> so ew, I don't. Mm -mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So once the girls heard the front door shut and they knew that they had left, um, they began to start trying to untie themselves. At first, they started like kind of back to back trying to untie each other's hands. But that didn't work. And finally, one of them was able to, like, climb through her arms with her legs bound in order to get it in front of her where she could actually mm -hmm. see what they were she was doing and untied the other girl. And then the girl helped her untie herself. And they got free. And they ran to Polly's mom's room, who was sleeping, obviously, because it was 11 o'clock, 11, mm -hmm. 12, 1130 or whatever at this point um, at night. And her name was Eve, just so we know. Mm -hmm. Um so they were yelling, Polly's gone. And as soon as they, like, it registered to her mom what they were saying and what was happening, um, she called the police, obviously, and was like, 911, uh, my daughter just got taken out of my house. Uh, so the police first approached this as if it was maybe the girls making something up or this big, like, prank type of thing, because they were teenage girls mm -hmm. and they were having a sleepover. And people just do some dumb shit when they, you know. Um, but... Soon enough, it didn't take very long, and they were like, okay, they are clearly... Distraught? Yeah, clearly, like, not okay. They contacted the FBI uh, to help investigate, and the Petaluma PD called the... So, this is in Northern Wait. California. Petaluma. That's what I said. You said Petaluma. Well, it's an A. It's Petaluma. Okay. I'm just letting you know. Petaluma. The Petaluma PD um, called an alert... To, like, the surrounding departments in, mm -hmm. you know, because they're just the one city. And since this guy probably took off, they're trying mm -hmm. to, like, cover their bases. Uh, they went door to door in the neighborhood asking if anything was seen or heard. One of the neighbors said that right around 10 p.m., they saw a man casually walking up to the house and walk into the front door. Uh, the neighbor assumed that the man was supposed to be there since he was so calm and nonchalant about everything. Oh, I um, so he had, they hadn't called cause they were just like, they saw it and it didn't register as anything weird since he just walked right in. 
this is when the police started considering that maybe Polly's father, who was divorced from her mother, had taken her um, since he was so relaxed and comfortable mm-hmm. walking into the house. They had assumed this. I mean, obviously, that's usually the it's usually somebody that the kids know that abduct them when there's child abductions. Um, but this was ruled out really quickly too. Uh, when the, that's when they started focusing on like stranger abduction, which is only like a little portion of abductions and 75% of stranger abductions end in murder. So they Mm. felt a bit more like a bit more concerned and rushed to get it solved. Right. Right. Um, there was a palm print found on the bunk bed in Polly's room It didn't match any of the family members or any of the visitors, so they assumed it was the killers. Um, At that time, there was no, like, database with palm prints included with the fingerprints. I don't know what they do now, where, I think it's like a regional thing, Mm -hmm. how they do it, but they had nothing to compare it to unless they were to find somebody and then compare it to their hand. So it wasn't super helpful for a lead. Mm -hmm. Um, The girls assisted in making a sketch of the man that from what they could remember because it was so fast and like put the pillowcase over their head and whatever. Um, but he was white. He was wearing a yellow bandana around his head and he had a beard, like a scraggly beard. Uh, Polly's case was the first one to utilize the internet. It seems, um, to spread the information in 93. Mm -hmm. Uh, she, her missing poster was shared across the world it was downloaded all over about 2 billion times and then wow. printed. At, I'm just like, in 93, it was shared. And it was like mm-hmm. internationally shared. It went shared. viral. Yeah. That's what they kept saying is like it was the first viral missing persons case, um, which is wild to me. Uh, there were flyers and posters all around town. And they even passed out pre-recorded cassettes with information about Polly. And the disappearance. Uh, There were also flyers faxed to stores throughout the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had t-shirts made and passed out with Polly's face on it. And there were flyers that were put into boxes in children's clothing store that Polly's mom managed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eight million pieces of paper with Polly's information and face were printed from around the world. That's just so much. And she's never been found. Well, uh, so forth... (laughs) Thousand volunteers. Oh, helped. I guess I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just assumed. I'm like, I'm assuming she's just done. Uh, uh, I just no, I just assumed that she was never found. But maybe I'm wrong. May, well, you find out there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> four thousand, right, pal. <laughs> four thousand volunteers helped search the area, and they covered about a thousand miles worth of land. And then there was air support brought in to cover an extended few thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Um. The community created Poly Class Search Center, a place where they organized and brainstormed how to spread the word and get information out there. Eventually, this was this center became a search center for children of all sorts for missing children. Um, it also created a model of organizing missing children information and like search that they kind of went off of for actual police intervention and mm-hmm. whatnot. So that's kind of cool. Winona Ryder, who was from Petaluma Mm -hmm. originally. Thank you. uh, Offered a 
$200,000 reward for information leading to Polly and finding her. Mm. Um, one day, Mark Class, Polly's father, uh, his brother was watching the ho- his house and he got they got a call. And on the other end, there was a voice that said they were Polly and claimed that they were being held in a hotel room and that person had stepped out and they would be coming back. So who they were taken by, um, then the line was disconnected. Well, Polly's uncle called the police. They were able to tap the phone and soon enough there was another call and they traced it to Hayward, which was pretty nearby. Um, but when the police got to where the call was from, it was just a middle-class home that had a teenage girl in it, and she had been prank calling on a dare. And so she called and said she was, what the fuck, dude? Did she get punched in the noggin? I mean, I feel like she should have, because that is just so fucked up. It's just so fucked up. Okay, anyway, so oh. I wrote, what the actual fuck at the end of that? So three weeks after the abduction on October 19th, There was a call from a man saying that he had Polly and he was asking for ransom uh, to the police station. So he called the police station and asked for ransom. They traced this call and found the location right away. And they found that it was a hoax. And the man that had played the hoax was arrested because he was not a minor being dumb. Um, People were assholes. Right? Vallejo police called the Petaluma police department soon after this with a potential suspect. He was caught breaking into a home. This home had a single mother and a 12-year-old girl and was very similar to the Polly case where he was carrying a knife and what they called a rape kit on him while he was breaking in. Um, So the duffel and the knife, like when he came to steal Polly, I don't know. That was a weird choice of words. Mm -hmm. Um, But... uh, after some investigation, there wasn't enough evidence to actually link him to Polly's disappearance. There was then a tip that Polly may have been held in a cabin in the woods in Northern California. They went to this cabin and they were about to like they were about to raid the cabin when so okay. So this was a jumbled thought thing because I must have picked it from multiple sources. Mm-hmm. So there was a tip that she was being held in a cabin by drug dealers and waiting on the ransom or some sort of a money transaction in order to get her back. Um, And they were about to raid the cabin when they received a call that it was fake and it was another false lead and they had to abort the mission. Um, Then on November 28th, Dana, I think Jaffe's, uh, who had called the police about a suspicious man on her property the night of the disappearance, called the police again. She had been walking around her property after some, like after some trees had been taken down and she was just making sure everything the way it was supposed to be. Cause she had hired people to come do it. And she found on her property bindings, <gasps> like, like the ones that were, in this case, like the strips of fabric. Um, So police sent out an officer, one that had been in the bedroom the night that Polly was kidnapped. And he's the one who came in and basically was like, these are the same thing. And then they matched them to the ones that were on the other girls. And so they, they finally have a lead of Mm -hmm. some sort. 
so this is when police looked into the call that Dana had made that night that she disappeared. Okay. So about an hour after Polly was kidnapped, a woman came home from work. Dana mm-hmm. uh, came home from work in Santa Rosa, about 25 miles away. Uh, her nanny was leaving for the night when she saw a man standing on a private road leading to the house inside of the fenced part of the property. So she went to the nearest gas station, the nanny did, and called Dana to tell her that there was a man inside of the property and to get the kids and try to get out as soon as she can and call when she's in a safe place because he's already there. Um, So she did. She called the police as soon as she got out of harm's way. When the police got there, they found Richard Allen Davis next to his car in the ditch. Uh, he was sweating, breathing heavily. He had leaves and twigs stuck in his hair and beard. Mm. The police didn't know that this man matched the description of Polly's kidnapper because the broadcast wasn't sent to the individual police cars that were already out <gasps> on oh, patrol. No. Um, Davis said that he had been sightseeing, got lost, and somehow ran into the ditch. Okay. There were no outstanding warrants that they could see. Um, or a criminal record that were available to those cops that were out there. So because of the lack of communication between counties, I know when you said that, I was like, hmm, at the time, um, they believed that he was fine. They believed what he said and they kind of let him go because they didn't really have anything other than the trespassing on him. And that was more up to Dana if she wanted to press charges than them to arrest him right then. Mm -hmm. So, um, and she didn't want to press charges because if it was an honest mistake, she's like, I mean, I don't want to, like, send a guy to jail if he just accidentally wandered onto my property trying to figure out where he was. Right. Uh, so these officers hadn't even been told that the neighboring county was had a missing child. They didn't even do, like, an APB, like, all points bulletin, <laughs> uh, saying there's a missing child. This is what she looks like. This is the, what the guy looks like. Uh, so... And this, the only reason this one, this department didn't get that specifically is because they had just switched to a different radio system. So they didn't have the same radio waves. uh, Yeah, I know. Right. So it's just one of those things that fuck and Amber, Amber alerts weren't a thing quite yet. So it turns out Davis had been convicted of kidnapping two times before. Uh, Davis was given a talking to by the police about private property being more aware and the trespassing. And like I said, Dana's like, whatever, it's fine, but just like, let him know that this is my property. Um, And so they gave him a stern talking to and basically just left him on the highway because that's what he wanted. He's like, no, it's fine. You know, I got a, I got a ride coming or something. Right. So they just left him on the highway where his vehicle was. Um, so now this is all being brought into light again after finding, uh, the bindings on Dana's property. They also found torn ballet tights that matched the ones Polly Mm. had. Um, they found the name and ID photo of Davis and compared it to the sketch that they had. And it was very similar. Um, ironically, Davis had been right in reach two times in the last months with the police. Once on Dana's property and the other on October 19th, he was pulled over in Ukiah and arrested for driving under the influence, but they just 
walked him in, booked him in jail. There was one of the posters of the wanted guy on the wall and nobody even made the connection to it. Oh, no. Um, so now, for Davis's past, I'm going to just... Sl- I'm just going to kind of, like, dabble. So... In 1976, he had kidnapped a woman and raped her, claimed he was hearing voices of his dead girlfriend talking about what it was like to be raped, and served five years. Then, in 1984, he kidnapped a different woman, stole $6,000 from her, and and went to prison. Um, He got out about four months after, or before, Polly was abducted. So, the timeline... Is pretty uh, uncanny. Mm-hmm. So police started tailing Davis after they figured this out and they were making the connections. And after a couple of days with no leads, they formed a plan in order to make him like slip up. So they were able to try to arrest him. Mm-hmm. So police went to Davis's sister's home to search where he was staying maybe or something. I don't know. Nobody like specified that. Um, after questioning and searching, they set a perimeter around the house because she gave permission, Mm -hmm. um, to see if Davis would try to enter the property, even with the perimeter saying that no one can come in and out. And he did. So they were able to arrest him. Um, Richard, Richard, I, why did I say Richard Davis? I did first name randomly. I'm like, who's rich? Oh, um, insisted that he knew nothing about Polly. Once he was arrested, they took his fingerprints and his palm print. Mm-mm. And mm. guess what? It matched. Yes, it did. So, with that, uh, he was tied to the scene, but where was Polly is the question. Sorry, I didn't mean to make noise. I'll just wait. You get yourself comfy, crazy <sighs> there, bud. Oh, there it is. I'm going to take a little drink because I was about to. Then I panicked, so I threw it down. Um, so Davis denied any involvement in and insisted that the police couldn't have any proof on him at Polly's house. Like, he was like, no, there's no way that there's anything that, anything showing that I was there, whatever. And then they're just like, but your palm print was there, so... And just with that, it was like an instant switch and he confessed. Oh, no. As soon as they were like, yeah, no, we do have proof, actually, that you were there. Uh, he told them that she was dead and they searched for four days with no luck until he finally spilled out details of how he strangled her. He led them to the shallow grave right off of Highway 101. Uh, police talked about how cold and casual he was as he was showing them the way to the body. Mm. Um, So it it turns out that when the police were talking to Davis that night at Dana's property uh, on October 2nd, obviously, uh, Polly had most likely already been killed. Mm -hmm. Like he had, he had gotten there, did whatever, killed her. The end, and then the police showed up, and that's why he was all sweaty and disheveled and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Davis didn't ever go into great exact, like great detail on his timeline on what happened, um, but from the bits of evidence and the little bits that he had shared, the detectives believed that Polly was assaulted, killed in nearby Dana's property, if not on it. By assaulted, do you mean raped? 
I don't know because everything just said assaulted. So I'm assuming raped, but it nothing like specifically says that. Okay. And I, whenever I see that, I, don't I just assume. Mm-hmm. I just assume. Um, mm-hmm. Near or on Dana's property, between the time of the kidnapping and the police talking to him. And so I guess they called a tow truck and that's what it, his ride was. There's so many different like versions. Yeah. Uh, they believe that her body was hidden in some bushes when the police stopped before he was left on the highway and he moved her body into that shallow grave, which they also think that he had already decided that's where he was going to put her because mm-hmm. it was just off the road enough to where you couldn't really tell the difference between if he would have just dug up a little bit and put the brush in the dirt on her. Um, when Polly's father heard the news, he just sat and sobbed in front of the fire. That that was like one of the big details that they gave is that he just like uncontrollably sobbed because they all were hoping that maybe she just was taken and alive somewhere and she would come back. Um, That's so sad. Eve Nichols, her mom, had kept a candle lit in the window as a symbol of hope for her to come home. Um, and when she heard that she had been found, that her body had been found, she went up and she blew it out. In front of the police. I was like, this is like a sad movie. I can't. I just got the chills. I just. So prosecutors believe that this was all premeditated. They think that Davis was stalking Polly for weeks before actually taking her. They also think that Davis raped Polly before killing her. So, So they believe that Davis was stalking Polly for weeks before actually taking her. They also think that Davis raped Polly before killing her, which is makes it a different charge so that's i think that's why they were like um hi no that she was raped it wasn't just assault it wasn't mm-hmm. just whatever so on june 18th of 1996 Dav- <laughs> davis was convicted of kidnapping lewd acts and first degree murder um when this was announced davis looked at the jury winked blew a kiss and then flipped them off with both hands Ew. yeah yeah no he's not a not a nice guy i'm gonna poke you in the fucking eye the next time you wink at me right flick him flick you right in the eye so he was sentenced to death with the judge saying it is a very it is very easy for me to pronounce this sentence given your revolting behavior in this courtroom because he was just kind of a dick Throughout the entire trial, too. You know, you're a real dick, man. Um, He is currently in San Quentin. He's appealed many times and is in solitary confinement after <laughs> an OD attempt and being attacked multiple times by other inmates. Mm-hmm. Um, Because of this case, the communication issues um, in the highway patrol system have been worked on and have gotten much better. And how they deal with missing children has changed um, to make it faster and more widespread than it was before. Uh, Statewide broadcasting rather than countywide broadcasting, because that's what kind of screwed this in the pooch. Yes. Screwed the pooch on that one. So Polly's case also was a catalyst for the three strikes rule in California Mm -hmm. um, because of Davis's terrible past like and not getting much uh time for those things and then it obviously led up into something worse Mm uh in honor of her memory the 
classed. That doesn't make sense. Anyway, the Children's Kids Foundation has established a dedic and dedicated to helping find. So it's basically her missing children's foundation thing that they started mm -hmm. with just her case has dedicated themselves to finding missing children and helping those that are affected by the crimes against children. Um, and it's grown into this huge uh, organization now. And it started with this case. So I don't know. It's just, it's very, no, it's really interesting and it's really sad and it's really fucking creepy that she's just, hanging out with her friends in a room and you open the door yeah. and there's just this creeps oh, oh i hate i hate everything yeah, no, about that nope i never want to ever 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 imagine that happening gross don't like that gross. yeah that's the poly class case that was a good job thank you thank you thank you it was one of those that i always thought that case was unsolved so you done good, kid. You done good, kid. No, I just... It was one of those that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of missing kids' cases. And so... Now now that's been my thing for the last, like, three episodes. <laughs> missing kids? Missing kids, disappearances, and whatnot. Because it's just... It's just so wild. I can't imagine having... Especially the ones that never... Like, the body never shows up or whatever, where they just are gone. And you have no idea what happened, where right. they are, what's happening. I It just makes me, it makes me real sad. Do you have any um, weird, uncomfortable dating things? I'm looking right now. It's like, might need one. <laughs> I've got 37 unread messages and plenty of fish, so. Oh. Let's fucking see. So you pay close attention to it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. No, no, I do not. I forgot that I had this on my phone, so. <laughs> I like your hair and eyes. Do you date black men? By the way, I like fries and potato chips. Sweet. <laughs> do you say something about potatoes on your profile? No. So that was just voluntary information. <laughs> voluntary information that I did not ask for. <laughs> also, I like fries and potato chips. First of all, who fucking doesn't? Sweet. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. And also, like, this is imperative information. It's <laughs> fucking weird. Things you need to know about me. I like fries and potato chips. <laughs> mm, let's see. Let's see. That was, that was fucking random. Hello. Did I meet you on MySpace back in the day? I, two, D, and D. What does that mean? I know he what also Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think D&D &D means Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I know Dean, that's all I think, but... And then he put chast Catholic girl, question mark. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? You also like fries and... <laughs> oh, no. What the fuck? Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, boy. I showed her his profile. We're not going to be mean and describe it, but... <laughs> I mean, first off, he looks like the little boy from Up. I thought we weren't with... going to be mean and describe I'm not it. describing all the way. We're not going to go into the mean details, but with dark hair, and he dresses like a child. <laughs> he dresses like a man to dress. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> hey, people like my fandom t-shirts. Suck it. 
That was a good one. Um, oh my god, Jazz Catholic girl. First of all, uh, lower your voice. No, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just gonna get a bunch of dogs. No, you you have said you are gonna focus on you this year. Stop yeah. talking about dying alone. Stop fucking talking about having to get a bunch of dogs so you have company. You're focusing on you. Not. Nah, I'm focusing on me. Not on the D. Exactly. <laughs> 2020. Three is when that will happen. I don't know because I was like 2021. Well, that's 2023 halfway over. will be the year of the D. <laughs> 2023, year of the D. <laughs> Fucking A. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks you know, for sorry listening. about that. Le- yeah, thanks for listening. Follow, like, all that, all that shit. Um, see ya. Bye, bitches. <laughs>